Hello and welcome to Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup.com groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, New York City, London, Toronto and Zurich. I'm your host, Mia Kosiavelu, and today we're going to interview a very special guest all the way from Seattle. Welcome, Stefania. How are you? Please introduce yourself and jump right into whatever you want to tell us about yourself. Hi, Mia and Brent. Uh, thank you for, for joining me, uh, for inviting me to join your podcast today. I am, like you mentioned, in Seattle at the moment, doing uh, my PhD research on the topic of AI education and AI literacy for families. Um, this is work that I've started three years ago at MIT, where I did my master's, and um, it's a topic that is very dear to, to my heart. Uh, a little bit about my background. I've been working with the technology education for young people for the past eight years, started an NGO called Hackademia, uh, where the goal was to enable kids to solve problems in their local community through digital fabrication and coding and learn by doing. We also worked on a, on a project uh, all over Africa called AfriMakers, very, very much the same goals, but uh, this time around I was working with um, students, graduate and undergraduate students. Um, and yeah, in the past three years, um, I realized that we are not no longer only dealing with digital natives, but we're actually... Uh, we have the first generation of AI natives. So I wanted to make sure for these kids that are growing up with AI in their house, mm -hmm. that we are preparing them to know how to best make use of this technology. So that's why I'm doing this type of work. You've mentioned so many amazing things. The Hackademia, I think, was founded in uh, 2012. Is that correct? About yeah. seven years ago. And And from that, can you just give us a little bit more about what got you interested in that? Was it something you yourself found missing from your um, – I'm passionate about education as well, so I'm just curious what led you to down that, that road. Yeah, it's a long story. I mean, it's like um, – hmm, how to summarize it? So I tried many different things before deciding to start my own organization. Uh, I'm coming from a very small town in – Transylvania and Romania. So for oh, me to yeah. get to MIT or even to, you know, get to the States, I had to go through a lot of hoops and filters and, and very, very sensitive and mindful uh, of the equalizing power of education. So my, and my mom is a teacher. Uh, my dad is an engineer. And in some ways with my work with academia, I kind of combined what my both parents are doing. Brilliant. But it really came from this desire to allow kids to teach us adults. So the idea came about in 2012 when I was at this program on NASA campus called Singularity University. And I, and I met people from all over the world who would, you know, come on NASA campus for three months to try to solve global challenges like access to electricity or clean water, access to education. And we would talk about like the latest technologies in biotechnology, in robotics. And, and you know, for me, it was mind blowing to learn about all these things. And I couldn't help thinking like, what if I would have learned about this when I was seven or eight or even younger? Like, and what are the intuitions and ideas and things that kids come up with that we cannot come up with anymore because we are already thinking in the system that we're part of and we're already kind of formatted to only think in a specific way or only frame 
uh, our creations as problem solving and so on. So I think kids still have this magic of playing, tinkering, um, and thinking outside of the box. They don't have a box, right? That's lovely. Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so for me, that was actually quite cool. And I decided that that's something I want to work on. And from the moment I got the idea, I convinced some of my colleagues at Singularity to join me in this adventure, Bobby, Brent, and Libby. And we actually, it started like a pool, uh, not a push. So lots of people invited us to do start to do, to do workshops. So we did a series of workshops in Brazil with another colleague from Singularity, Um, We did workshops in Berlin, in Cambodia, in Singapore, you name it. But it was always like we would do a workshop uh, that people were interested in 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 Brazil. Like it could be, okay, we want to figure out how to build better generators or we want to just kind of uh, make new uh, air quality monitoring stations with kids. But we wanted to do it by training local teams with local materials. And we would also make videos and share the curriculum and the videos from each of those workshops. And because this was shared both on social media and on our website, more and more people like kind of wanted to do it. And it, it's I compared to TED and TEDx. Mm-hmm. So we would have like all these local chapters that people were like, I can I do a academia in, you know, in Bulgaria? Can I do a academia? So and then we would send someone from the team, train a local team, they would do it, share what they did with other people. And that's that was kind of the process uh, behind that organization. Right. And can I just ask anything that comes to mind that came out of that program? I see 10,000 children. Wow. And 600 mentors around the globe in 40 countries. Is there anything that that you want to share from academia that maybe was uh, fascinating or surprising or unexpected um, working with children and and um, academia? Yeah, I mean, I even today, whenever I do a workshop with kids, they always ask questions that I've never thought of. Right. And they always come up with ideas that we never thought of. And I thought that was like really magic. And there's something to be said about the power of hands on. Right. I always like to say that we think with our hands and that the materials and tools and experiences we expose our kids to very much shape like the experiences and the vision they're going to have as adults. But specifically, I think at Hackademia, what was very nice is that we would have like different stations and every station would be a different activity. You could do uh, things with conductive yarn. You could do conductive, like you could do conductive dough or like uh, extracting DNA from strawberries. You could make your own video game. You could. So there were activities that would appeal to many different types types of kids with different interests and we would not impose a schedule like oh you can only do this for this long and switch to another activity we let them choose it was kind of like going in a library of workshop or like a mini maker fair before maker fairs were even a thing um so that worked very well because maybe kids didn't even know like oh i i really like to do knitting uh with electronics uh, but they would see other kids getting into that and it would be become contagious right so it would really be a very fertile ground for curiosity and exploration and then they would pick like they would focus more on a station start to build a project and a very important part of each academia session is that by the end of the session people would present their projects and the parents will also be there the extended community would also be there 
And that was really like giving the agency to the kids to show their ideas, their projects, why they chose to do something. And in a way, to indirectly also influence the families and inspire the families to continue this type of work at home. So I, I thought that that part was always like, you know, it really got me to see how a child who's very shy or doesn't really know what uh, she or he likes would transform through this collective process and by the end of a session or a day would come up with a project they build and be able to present it um, with their parents and friends and and be proud uh, of doing that project. Yeah, and it's super relevant. And how are you finding it's being adopted in curriculum in, in, in this 21st century? Do you think education and AI programs are you know, moving fast enough in the right direction? How are you going about in, you know, getting it out there into into the curriculum? So I think we should make a, a connection before I answer this question. So the work with academia was not focused on AI education. Um, the, uh, my focus on AI education started when I joined MIT. And I and I built a, a separate platform for that called Cognimates, which is free and open source. It builds on top of Scratch, which um, most of the kids already are familiar with. It's translated in many languages. And the reason I decided to do that, like I love the maker education and the tinkering and hands-on learning, um, but I realized that um, things like Alexa and Google Home, these AI devices are adopted very, very fast. Like in U.S. alone right now, you have more than 50 million households that has some sort of voice assistant, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized that there was also like no research done on the topic when I started to do this in 2016. So that's what motivated me to not only do a lot of studies and papers uh, on the topic, but also create tools that would actually allow kids to become creators of AIs and not only consumers. How is that adopted in curriculum right now? Well, it's 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 complicated. I I am part of a working group called AI for K-12, which is trying. It's the same people that wrote the standards for CS education in America, in North America, who are trying to do the same for AI education. It is problematic to some extent because, like always, just like they did with coding in schools, the approach is very much um how do you call that uh instruction based like yeah. and very very formalized learning like let's teach you what a function is let's teach you what you know a neural network like how does it work and and we know that kids don't learn in that way like the reason academia was successful the reason like scratch became so big is because it started from kids passions it started with projects it had a low barrier of entry wide walls like people could do many different things and high ceilings and right now i think it's important to learn those lessons like how long did it took like i started this work in 2012 like you mentioned and computer science education became a thing became part of the curriculum only in the past years, right? So it took a very long time. Initially, people thought I was crazy to teach coding to kids. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, it's just another language, isn't it? It's like language acquisition for the children. I think hmm, hmm. it's problematic to make. I, I think it, it is a form of literacy. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily put it at the same level with language learning. I think the trick once coding became adopted in schools is that we have like this really strong agenda in speech about STEM education. Yeah. And then there was a response to that with STEAM. Uh, and what that meant is that it actually translated in a lot of humanities uh schools to get their funding cut and a lot of the schools you know for science and engineering having much more support 
Um, I think it's important for kids to have access to a whole range of experiences and to see coding and even learning about AI as just a tool. But Popper said a thing that I really, really uh, is resonant with me, and I think it, it's worth mentioning in this context, is that you cannot think about thinking without thinking about thinking about something. So you cannot learn just coding or learn just AI without learning AI while you're learning something else. And I think it's important to see that literacy in context. Like we're not doing technology edu- education for technology's sake. Um, we're doing it as a form of empowering the kids and as a form of providing to them new tools for creation, new tools for expression. Um, and, and I think it's hard to have that mindset because just like the computer, when Poppert created the first programming language for kids 50 years ago, Logo, the computers were mainframes. They were so expensive and it was so hard like i think the first logo turtle was like a million it was extremely expensive so hard to have access to that technology and he was like yeah we should give it to kids we should invite kids to 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 write this technology to learn about this technology and in in some ways i think that analogy translates today is like who are who the, the actors who have the monopoly of collecting data accessing accessing data at scale Mm-hmm. creating uh, prediction models, using those prediction models, right? And why should we not also give access uh, to these tools to the generation that will grow up with it and will have to make very important decisions in their lifetime? So, what do you have to say about access? What do I have to say about access? Uh, could you be more specific? Well, I'm just wondering. I just got back from a, a talk today about um, whether to break up Facebook and and it was one of the co-founders um and it it was interesting like all this data and who had access to this data at Cambridge um before Cambridge Analytica <laughs> where where do we get um uh, there are open source obviously um and I'm not sure if this is relevant to our discussion now but it it just um it might tie into what you're saying about kids having access to data and what they do with it could be interesting how they stitch it up. Um, if they have a specific area they want to focus on, um, yeah. anyway, let, we can ignore it. it no, just- no, I think it's a good question. I just wanted to understand what you had in mind so I know how to answer it. Um, and I would love to talk about that. I think there's a, a really, you know, misrepresentation of what's happening right now. Like we keep on talking about open source, right? So for example, Tesla open source their algorithms for their self-driving cars or Google open source TensorFlow, which is one of like the biggest um, engine for machine learning or I don't know, you name it, all these big companies open source some tools and then you know, the community of developers and academics start to use them. But I think like the the big elephant in the room here is that like, especially when it comes to AI and machine learning is that having access to the code or the model, it's not the full story. It's like a, the small part of the story, having access to the data. That's, that's really like what's the most important. And mm-hmm. we are living in a world where industry and corporations have a monopoly on, on the data that is being collected about people. Mm-hmm. And nobody is really thinking like, how could we break this down into digestible chunks? Uh, not only for kids, but for the, every person that is not technical, right? And I think that's very, very important because 
you see examples of people using machine learning in agriculture in Japan or practitioners using it in in different uh, aspects in their in medical uh, field like if you want to do uh, skin cancer detection and, so, and these people know what the needs are like they they are specialists in their fields and they know how it could help but they might not know how to you know, uh, take their local data set and apply a model to it. Uh, and those are the type of skills that I would like to create. And and of course, you know, there are like bigger implications, specifically for kids. What I discovered when I was doing these Cognimates workshops, also internationally, is that kids care a lot about topics that adults are not even, you know, sensitive to. Uh, like kids care a lot about climate change. And they there are a lot of projects that they want to do on like, how can we detect, you know, when animals disappear or how can we detect tech from satellite data when a fire will start in Amazonian forest or they care a lot about cyberbullying because we you know we know that this is a problem with the connected world of today and social media uh, unprecedented uh, in online communities for kids so they would like to train classifiers and build their own projects to prevent cyberbullying and so i think you know it it serves like providing such tools and even the awareness that they should exist serves multiple purposes on one hand is that it allows people to understand more how their phones, their Alexas, the technologies they use on a daily basis, how they work and what kind of data they collect about them and why it's important to be aware of that. And on the other hand, it also allows them to come up with practical solutions or fun solutions or things that are specific to their field or to their interest. And yeah, I, I think it allows, it sh we should allow kids to work on real projects and not only provide gadgets and kind of like, uh, you know, gizmos and like small uh, dummy demos, because if there's one thing like and this goes back to your pre previous question that I learned from working with kids for so many years is that they understand the world we live in much more than we give them credit for. And that, you know, I, I treat them like small adults and like they they have a real voice and they have real agency. So I think we should we should respect that. Yeah, I am. Um so impressed with all the movements coming out of out of uh, younger children and and they really get things and you you mentioned before so an ai native would would they be um the under nine-year-olds um uh, is that what we're calling gen alpha is that is that the same thing or is it something yeah different? yeah exactly i mean i i already see it like there's a really big difference with the four years old and five-year-olds i'm working with today uh, and the four year olds and five years old I work with like two or three years ago, like a really big difference um, in how they perceive technology, how they interact with technology, how they talk about technology. I know we've got very limited time. I'm curious, what drew you to the program at UW? Is it you know, the proximity to Microsoft and Amazon? Is that something that you're um, working No, <laughs> definitely <Yeah>. not. <laughs> random um, uh, yeah Thanks. I wish yeah okay um, <laughs> what drew me to UW was the people that I'm working with um, I wanted to work with my current advisors who are Alexis Hineker and Jason Eep because they have a lot of experience in this field and because they're lovely people who care a lot about kids and education done in an ethical way and um, specifically, Alexis uh, Hineker has also done longitudinal studies and studies on um, AI perception and AI interaction for families 
especially conversational agents and kind of looking at dark patterns in how these technologies are are designed to kind of maintain engagement over time for for kids and families and Jason has a lot of Jason Yip has a lot of experience with kids teams so he created these groups where kids are like uh, participatory designers and researchers, but it's long-term in- engagement. So some of the kids that have been in kids team have been in kids team for four years, right? So imagine like if you wanted to think about the future of learning and do that with kids for kids, that you, you are part of a group where you develop these relationships over time, right? So they trust you and you really learn how to work with the kids and co-design. And, and that's what Jason has done. And, and I think that's what we need. Uh, we, I, I don't think we can imagine like what interfaces and tools and curriculum of tomorrow can look like if we only ask people who are the product of the current educational system. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So so that's why I'm here and I'm very happy like we're actually doing workshops with these kids every week, multiple times a week. <laughs> and it's it's amazing to be in an environment where we consider kids to be like mini researchers and work with them so often. Um yeah, so that's what what got me to Seattle. Awesome. Um and what are some ethical uh issues around uh, children? Is it can you spell that out for for our audience and for me as well? I I'd love to hear um, what it, what are some of those boundaries that you're facing and, and working with. Does that make sense when, when you're dealing with working with children and AI? Well, I think, you know, it's um, this topic of ethics and AI has been it's overly exhausted at the moment. It is an important topic, but I just saw this post. There was this um AI ethics gathering at Stanford, um, and one of the presenters said there are 128 charts and guidelines for AI ethics at the moment, <laughs> right? So if everything is about AI ethics, nothing is about AI ethics. So I think it's, um, of course, you know, like we, there, there's this issue of bias and discrimination. And of course, you know, kids are aware of part of that. And we have this conversation, like why it matters, why they learn these things. Why can a computer detect better a person with white skin versus a person with a different uh, skin color or complexion? Uh, why does it, is it not okay for an Alexa to record everything you say and how can that be misused? There are lots of, lots of mm-hmm. questions. Um, I mean, we did like, uh, ask kids what bias is and they don't know that. They don't know the term bias, but they can identify when bias happens and they know what discrimination means and they also have a lot of ideas about how to fix it. Um, there's a different uh, part of your question, which is like, what are the ethics for me and my advisors and the team we're working with as researchers yeah. in this process? And, and you know, like, um, I mean, we do have an IRB commission that reviewed all of our study protocol and we would not be able to do this type of work if we, we didn't pass through an ethics board. Um, and, um, yeah, I think especially also for Cognimates, like we, um, provide this tool free and open source, um, but it does allow kids to take pictures and classify those pictures and we make it very clear where that data is being stored. Um, and, um, you know, like we give examples of projects of what can be done and should be done or cannot be done. But I think in general, like my, 
the most important element for me when I do the research that I do in terms of ethics is to make sure that the participants um, are respected, that they feel comfortable, that they can withdraw at any time from the process, and that the the research itself contributes primarily to the community that is participating, right? Um, like, what are the benefits for these kids? Are they learning uh, from the workshops? Do they enjoy? Do they want to be part of the workshops? Um, are we using the insights and the findings in building the tools that are accessible to them and are useful to them? So those are things that I think about a lot. And I think these are even beyond the IRB and ethics committees of any school, um, contributing back to the community we're working with is like the most important thing. And that doesn't happen only by writing research papers. That also happens by working with these communities and creating tools that are accessible to them. Right. Um, can I just ask, uh, what, what's different about cognimates, uh, cognimates? We didn't touch on that one. Did you want to talk around that one at all? What's different about it compared to what? You started with academia. Um, is that, is that similar, different, just what's going on with academia versus? Yeah. Uh, I did explain it earlier, but I'm happy to do it again. Um, If you don't mind just uh, maybe pointing out what's unique about each one. Yeah. So Hackademia was more focused on project-based learning and um, maker education, like tinkering, learn about electronics, learn about coding. And Cognimates um, brings in this new element of AI and machine learning. And it, we still do coding because uh, it still is, it still uses a visual blocks, mm-hmm. a visual programming language, but it also allows the kids to train their own classifiers. So kids can use like their own examples of pictures or text and train a model that will predict like if you give it examples of and this is actually a project kids did of backhanded compliments. Um, then the model, you can talk to it afterwards or write to it afterwards, do a project or a game, and it will predict if your text is a backhanded compliment or not, and maybe have a character on the screen react to that. Um, and yeah, that's the part that is new, is like allowing kids not only to program a machine, but also teach a machine. Like, And that's in general like the biggest you know, like leap, cognitive leap when we switch from just computer science education to AI education to understand that there is a feedback loop. Like you give examples to a computer, it learns from them, and then it will, you know, give you some sort of an answer or a prediction. And the more examples you give it, the more it learns. And your examples matter because they will influence the type of result you will get at the end. I wanted to touch on the robotics um, connection and teaching AI, um, the, the two, if you could just talk about robotics and teaching AI or vice versa. And then and then if there's anything you need uh, to, to share with um, our um, humanitarian AI meetup audience um, as far as your needs go, if there's anything you want uh, to share, that would be great. This is a platform to do it. So we'd love to hear if there's something you need to, to share. Yeah, so robotics and AI education. So on Cognimates, you can actually program robots too. Uh, we have extensions for Lego robots, for Cosmo robot, for uh, things like Microbit, which is a board, the microcontroller that can be used to make robots. Um, I 
think in general, like uh, the field of human robotic interaction explored a lot how robots can be used in language learning or all sorts of other forms of education. But it was more looking at how can we learn things from what kids do to automate the robots uh, and not so much looking at what tools can we create for the kids to to teach the robots or automate the robots themselves. And I think that's like a big shift that I would like to propose because I think the most important tool that you could give to a learner is curiosity tools or curiosity and agency. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to focus on AI like for teaching kids, like personalized learning and just create like this perfect tutor that will replace teachers. I, I really don't think that that's where things are going. Uh, rather than that, I would prefer for kids to decide, you know, what they would want to teach to a, an AI and how they want to use it and build all sorts of applications and games and fun things they want to do, even if it's with hardware like robots or just digital things. Um, so that's kind of like my my approach to to this difference between robotics and, and just AI learning. Um, for your other question, like uh, for your community, I think, you know, like one... Uh, I think that I would invite uh, your members would be to, if they're curious what it, you know, would look like if they wanted to teach a machine with their own examples or just play with games that were done by kids or adults, um, they can have a look and go to cockneymates.me and, and play with um, some of our tutorials or projects or build their own models. And in general, like I'm looking for ideas of, uh, new data sets or problem spaces that we could explore in our workshops um, and things that, y- you know, like your community would find important for, for kids to learn about and, and that we could integrate in our work. That would be very helpful. That sounds great. So I, I'm super intrigued and I'd love to just even observe what's going on with the children and, um, and, and what kind of things they do. That's such yeah. so fascinating. Well, thank oh. you so much for sharing all of that. Thank I think you. You're probably going to need to wrap things up. So Stefania from UW, it's great. You PhD student, um, researching AI literacy for families, founder at Hackademia and at Cognimates. Thanks for joining us. Um, Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. That brings us to a close. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Humanitarian AI today.